When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. I'm glad you're here. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Another parable Jesus put before the crowds. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat among them also. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barns. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. We went from the four soils where God's grace is spread out to everybody, And the differences of response is not the potency of God's grace, but it is the soil itself. And this parable, it is not so much about the soil. It's about the different kinds of seeds. A farmer sows grain in his field. Grain is the staple crop of the ancient Near East. It is the thing that has made civilization happen there in a way that hasn't happened anywhere else. Wheat, barley, all kinds of seed grains are there. They make bread. It's an amazing thing. So good. But in this case, an enemy comes and throws weeds. Now, these weeds are hard to tell apart from the wheat. According to this story, I'm just going from the story. The slaves claim that they can go in and weed out the weeds uh, as if they could tell the difference. And I'm not sure that they couldn't. I think they could. These slaves, servants of of the farmer, here we have first century world realities, enslavement, coercion, maybe cooperation amongst themselves in negotiation with the master 
hard to know what their situation is. Jesus told lots of parables with about slaves and their masters, um, not because he thought it was good, but because that was what was happening then. And that harsh reality was around him at every moment. And then the people that listened to it too. What kind of climate was that? What kind of world would they hear these parables in? And what do we hear them in today? But it seems like they know how to do it. Now, these slaves are not people as much as they are angels. The reapers are the angels, it says. And they can, um, they seem to be a little different than these slaves that claim they can get in there. To me, the these slaves of the householder are the apostles and the leaders of the church who say, we can go in there and root out all the weeds. This quest for purity in Christianity is one of our most glorious and notorious functions. It is glorious in that we want to be good. We want to be right. We want to be pleasing to God. We want the love of God to pour into our hearts and to bless us as we have done things right. We have made sacrifices to do things right. We have tried to figure out what God wants us to do and then done it. And that quest for purity is is a good one. It's the quest that every new relationship has, the quest for real harmony and real love and real vibrancy. And it's the quest that every institution has when it starts and they have their first board meeting. And we will not be corrupt. We will not get it, do what all those other organizations did before us. We will be different. And so this is a good impulse in the church, but this is what happens. This is why Jesus told this parable, because he knew that the problem with the quest for purity is there's, a, there's one problem with it. And that is that when we seek to try to conform everyone to a certain standard or get rid of people who are not really there for the reasons that Jesus wants them to be there, again, a murky subject, when we go in there to weed them out, we trample the wheat. This is why the quest for purity is notorious in its abuses. It is, it is why and how people who are just not there yet or are not in the same place as some others get trampled under by these workers who are coming in to root them out, root out the weeds. But some of the wheat looks a lot like the weeds. You can't really tell. And the more you weed, the more you get in that field, the less wheat you have until finally the church is beat down to a small, tiny remnant that can't even get along with itself. This is what early Christians relied on when they thought about the whole Catholic church, when they met in councils and disagreed with each other, when they had real beef between major theologians and movements of the early church and 
Peter and Paul and Barnabas and all the way down to the Protestant Reformation and other times that where people said, we need to clean house, and others said, everything's just fine. And that debate went on, the quest for purity. And if you do this in your own life, you will also get trampled down. This doesn't mean that we don't do good things. But the goal of the Christian life following Jesus is not perfection. It is following the perfect one imperfectly. It is following Jesus just the way we are. It is coming to Jesus and offering ourselves to him and following and doing what he says. It is not in doing everything perfectly. It is not achieving. Now, I think we could, we can get to places where we are in a state of grace that is beyond anything we thought we were capable of. We can really do a good thing in this world. There's lots of good things. But ultimately, if our quest is purity for everybody else except ourselves, we will always trample the lives of people that really are trying to grow. I felt this in the purity cult that I grew up in, fundamentalism. They were constantly interrogating our hearts, our motives. Did we really mean it when we trusted Jesus? What does it mean to really mean something? Can Susie really mean that lifelong commitment? Can Johnny really believe that? I mean, really believe it, not just like intellectually assent to it, but believe it with your heart and soul. And as I wavered back and forth between all sorts of things, I I wasn't sure if they were going to find me out, that I wasn't fully, unwaveringly committed to every piece of their project. And what I found out later was that I could never be. I would never be. And it was this parable that spoke to me in that time, reading St. Augustine in seminary, where St. Augustine says, this is the church, and if you try to purify it too much, if you don't let God purify it, God is a way of purifying churches that is well beyond um, what humans can do. Um, Churches need to create places where people can grow. And there are times where the weeds are choking the wheat. Um, And you know when it's happening to you often. But this is about the church as a whole. How much purifying should we do? Because the trampling happens too. God will do the work of weeding the field. You can trust. So look at your own work. Focus on yourself for once. (laughs) Humans are strange creatures. We are like averse to even like contemplating our own selves. And then we are obsessed with them as well. And we move back and forth between these two great polarities. And here we are. Now we need to focus on our own work. If you're a grain of wheat and you are planted and you're growing, grow. And don't worry about it. Don't look around for the weeds. If you're one of the workers in the vineyard... If your whole time is spent trying to weed out people, um, this is why we are very careful in Christian churches, or at least the ones that practice what Jesus is saying here, to keep certain people in or out. And we're not talking about people with tattoos and sort of the churches are, are usually okay with with um, people that are a little rough around the edges. It is 
not those people they're talking about. It's talking about people who um, really are truly part of the enemy's program. They will be in our churches. Um, Judas was one of the 12 apostles, and he was not just like a naive person. Like he really, according to the text, he was an agent of evil. And it's hard to believe in an agent of evil. I mean, we contemplate Adolf Hitler and other people like that. Um, But I think we should contemplate that. What does it mean to be consumed with the destruction of other people? And that does happen to people, and they do do it. And we cry out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, but they do know what they do. That's why forgiveness can only work in situations that are unforgivable because we can't just say they were having a bad day. Ultimately, some, sometimes people plot and plan really awful things to hurt each other. And so uh, that, that destruction of others is an evil plot, and Judas was there with the 12 disciples to do that, and Jesus kept him there. Later, the book of Acts, the first time the church is mentioned, Jacob Rees, the vicar of Holy Family in Houston, one of my great, uh, someone I greatly admire and listen to, has said a couple of times, I've heard him in different contexts, because I think it's something that he's really drawing strength from, is that the first time the word church is mentioned in the book of Acts, or in the whole Bible, really, um, when the church is actually called the church, uh, it is in the context of Ananias and Sapphira's lie in which they are judged. And the church shrinks for the first time. And that's the first time it's called the church. So you really can't talk about the church unless it's shrinking, unless it's experiencing this kind of hardship. Because the harvest will happen. You can trust that that will happen. Christians aren't averse to judgment. We're not averse to justice. We just believe that God takes it at the end of time. And that is going to be more just and more severe and more, shall we say, even hopeful than anything we can conjure up. Because that is who we're backed by. And ultimately, the field is love. Because at the heart of all this, God's heart beats with love, not just for the wheat, but for the weeds. And it may look a lot different than than, uh, what happens to the wheat. But ultimately, it's all undergirded by this deep well of love, where there is no limit to that love. I hope you can believe that today. There is no limit to God's love for you. None. Amen. Almighty God, the fountain of all wisdom, you know our necessities before we ask and our ignorance in asking. Have compassion on our weaknesses and mercifully give us those things for which our unworthiness we dare not and for our blindness cannot ask. Through the worthiness of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.